you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 12. I'm your host, Otis Gyre, and in this episode, I'll be performing seven tales to terrify you, all of them from author Kyle Harrison, about hellish highways, horrific hoarders, mystic mirrors, weird websites, alarming apartments, terrifying tunnels, and blood-curdling bridges. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first three spine-tingling stories. 
If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale from Kyle Harrison brings us the woeful story of a traveler upon the highway heading home. But one shortcut later, and suddenly the road doesn't seem quite so friendly, and the only other car on the road seems to be very interested in him. Without further ado, I present to you Objects in Mirror Are Closer Than They Appear. Have you ever driven down a road and glanced back at the rearview mirror and thought to yourself, that car wasn't there before? It's common enough a phenomenon. There are so many merging lanes and exits and ramps on most highways that it's easy to not notice a car coming or going. The stretch of highway I was on is uninterrupted, though. No other cars for miles to be seen. And turned on it a ways back, thinking it would be a shortcut to make it home. It's been too long since I've been home with my wife. I was trying to beat the bad weather, and also short on funds so every ounce of gas counts. So naturally, it's a bit jarring when I see a pair of headlights in the mirror suddenly appear especially when I'm sure that they weren't there a moment ago. The car gets closer, and I feel my pulse quicken. Something about the encounter doesn't feel right. It's in the air, making the whole night feel suddenly very electric. I increase my speed and try to lose the trailing car, but every time I look back, it's there. It's so dark I can't see a driver. Then I get this odd and dreadful feeling. Maybe there isn't a driver at all. I'm not sure why this thought crossed my mind. I never really believed in ghosts, but still the lingering doubt persists. The other vehicle is almost on top of my own, and I can hear the revving of their engine. Are they trying to hurt me? Run me off the road? I decide to pull off and let them go by. But just as my car moved over to the side, I felt something hit the bumper. It feels like a jolt of electricity, or when you awaken from a bad dream. The car shouldn't be that close. I have no other choice but to keep driving so I can avoid losing all control of my own vehicle. By this point, my hands are clammy. My nerves are shot. I think about calling the police... But as I look down at my electronic display, it shows I have zero reception. I think to myself that I'm going to die here. This car is going to keep trying to make me have an accident. Then, just as I'm sure that they'll collide with my bumper again, I see a diner on the side of the road. This is my salvation. I look back at the glaring headlights and push down on the accelerator. But every time I increase my speed, the other vehicle seems to be able to catch up. 
I'm starting to think I won't make it, or that I can't. The diner seems impossibly far away. The highway is stretching on forever, and the dangerous car is only inching closer. Then, an even more impulsive thought runs through my head. If I slam on my brakes and move to the oncoming lane, the car will fly by. It will give me a short window of escape. I look at the mirror again, convinced more than ever this is no ordinary encounter. This is a specter from hell, driven to kill, to destroy. Suddenly the diner is right on top of us. My chance to leave the highway is almost gone. I tilt the steering wheel as hard as I can, almost causing my car to flip. I slam on my brakes and drift into the parking lot of the isolated restaurant. As soon as my car is off the road, I dare to look back and see if the demonic vehicle is still following me. But the highway's empty. I'm alone. I grip the wheel hard, letting myself calm down as I look into the foggy windows of the diner. Was this place haunted too? Or more like a guidepost for lost travelers like me? The only way to find out was to go inside, I knew. But before I did, I reached into the glove compartment of my car and took out a small firearm. Then I reconsider. All of this feels like an overreaction. I put the gun back and close up the compartment, heading inside. My eyes are still on the lonesome highway. As I enter the diner, the welcoming jingle of the doorway bell only sounding faint as the glass swings closed. What had I encountered? Would I encounter it again when I left this oasis? The diner itself is empty, and it feels almost foreign to me. Nothing about it is inviting or reminiscent of the cafes that used to dot the roads when I grew up. But then I considered its location. No one was coming out here, except foolhardy lost drivers like me, I thought. I sat on a bar stool and tapped the service bell on the edge of the grimy counter, wondering if anyone even worked here at all. I actually felt a wave of relief when I saw a middle-aged woman turn from out of the kitchen, smiling warmly at me. Finally, something normal, I thought. Lost, hon? She asked as she poured me a cup of hot coffee. For some reason, her question sounds more like an accusation. I feel on edge, but I shrug it off. I'm just trying to make my way home. I tell her. It feels like I'm trying to convince myself of that statement, too. Why had I come there? Mighty brave of you to come to this stretch of road, and from the looks of your trembling paws, I'm guessing you know why I say that. The waitress said, leaning against the counter. I hadn't realized that my hands were shaking, but now that she's pointed it out, it seems I can't get them to stop. I feel the sudden urge to ask the question I had hoped I wouldn't need to. Is this highway haunted? She runs her fingers through her hair, and for a second I thought I saw a fresh wound. Was she dead too? Was I losing my mind? Well, some say it is, or that it was. My boyfriend says it's all a load of bull, 
but when he shows up, you can ask him the details of the stories. He knows this stretch of road backwards and forwards, she said. Shows up? Is he the cook? I dare to ask. The waitress chuckles. I'm not sure why, but it feels like she's laughing at me, pitying my lack of understanding. He'll be here soon. Let me go whip up some grits while we wait, she suggested. In the pit of my stomach, I feel like I should leave. Something about the encounter still feels very wrong. But then I think of the demon on the highway and I reconsider. I wouldn't last five minutes out there being chased again. So I chose to wait. The clock strikes 3.30 and I hear another vehicle drive into the parking lot. The sound of the engine alone makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Is it the same vehicle that followed me before? I tell myself that's impossible, but still, I don't turn around to look. The waitress comes out again, just as the newcomer enters, and she smiles warmly. Her friendly demeanor relaxes my stressed body. This must be her boyfriend. He looks like a grease monkey covered in oil and soot, his clothes tattered and old. Babe... This fellow wanted to know about the legend of the highway. I figured that no one knows it better than you, she said softly as her arms wrapped around the muscular mechanic. Sure, is all he says as he sits down beside me and then asks me where I'm headed, just like she did. Once again, the question sounds like I'm being interrogated. There's no friendly chit-chat happening here, but I reiterated my story. I just want to get home, but I don't feel safe getting out on that highway again. I admitted as I sipped my coffee nervously. His cold gaze makes me uncomfortable, so instead I focus on the waitress as she returns with two plates of grits for us. You have a right to feel scared. A demon roams these parts. A collector that will take your soul if you aren't careful, he responded. Is there any way to escape it? I asked. Do you have some place that you care about? He responded. The question feels out of place. Almost an accusation, but I answer it anyway. My, my wife. I haven't seen her in a while and I'm ready to get back home. Well, that's kind of ironic, he said, shooting a smile at his girl. The headless highwayman is a scorned lover. I swallowed instinctively, feeling my throat run dry. Headless? Well, the story goes that he and his wife just celebrated their honeymoon, and they were on their way home when she announced that she didn't love him. On top of that, she said she'd been sleeping with somebody else before they ever had their nuptials. He howled with laughter as he slapped his knee. Can you even imagine that? This poor fool was thinking... She was his one true love, and here she was, just using him. I saw his girlfriend get deathly silent, and I suddenly felt a bit worried about their relationship. Had something similar happened to them? Anyways, the driver claimed that it didn't bother him one bit, and he just kept on driving. The highway stretches on for a while, so there isn't a need for a posted speed limit. He pushed down on the accelerator, going faster and faster, until his cheating wife became worried, he said. His attention was entirely on his girl now. 
He seemed hypnotized by the story, hanging on every word. I couldn't help but admit that I was, too, imagining every detail. As they drove on, he saw a tunnel up ahead, and he pushed the accelerator down as far as he could. Rushing down the highway, his lover became confused and scared, certain he would smash them into the tunnel walls. There isn't another way around. A river runs through the countryside, only under the tunnel. Closer they get, the more she can see the fire of determination and fury in his eyes. She can't stop it from happening. Then, finally, they're mere meters from the tunnel, and he stands up just enough to be above the visor of his sports car. His head hits the edge of the tunnel perfectly, knocking it clean off. That's insane, I whispered. He was only smiling. He couldn't handle what his lover had told him, so he chose to end his life. But now his spirit roams the highway endlessly, seeking vengeance on others who've not made amends with those they hurt. I reached for my drink, my hand trembling. So, stranger, what do you need to resolve before you reach the end of the road, he asked. What are you hiding from the one you love? Hun, you're scaring him. His girl finally interjects. If he hopes to survive to the end of the road, he needs to confess, he insisted. I stood up, confused and frightened by the crazed look in this man's eyes. It was just an illusion, a mirage of the long drive, I said as I fumbled and offered money to the waitress. Have a good night. The man grabbed my arm as I prepared to leave. Don't be scared to face it. Hurting someone can be hard, but hiding the truth is far more dangerous, he snarled. I shook him off and went outside to get in my car, glancing over at the vehicle he had driven to the diner. A vintage red Corvette from at least 30 years ago. It reminded me of the vehicle he described in the ghostly tale. I glanced inside the diner to see the two lovers quarreling, feeling a pit start to grow in the bottom of my stomach. Had he been telling me the story of him and his lover? I started my engine and drove away before I could find out, continuously glancing in the rearview mirror as I got away from the diner. For a long, lonesome few minutes, the highway was empty again except for me. Was I safe? Had I escaped the wrath of this madman? My phone buzzed, breaking my thoughts and reminding me to focus on the road ahead. My wife. Where are you? She asked. Headed home. I got a little lost, but I'm coming your way, I said. Why have you been ignoring my calls? She said anxiously. I didn't have a good signal, I answered, but then noticed my phone showed the timestamps as though she'd been trying to call repeatedly. Stop lying. Just talk to me, she insisted. Then headlights appeared in my rear view again. I'll call when I'm off the road, I promised. I held my gaze at the mirror as the car got closer. Again, I saw no driver sending a chill down my body. Ahead of me, I saw a tunnel, a river. It was the one from the story. I heard the car rev its engine and get closer. I stepped my foot on the accelerator as well, as I had to make it there first. 
My phone buzzed again, and I sent it to the car phone. Please, just talk to me, my wife said as I gripped the wheel harder. The demonic driver was almost on top of me. Every time I looked at the mirror, it was almost there. I'm scared. I admitted to her as I drove faster. Almost there. I can handle it, no matter what it is, she told me. The car was grinding against my bumper, trying to run me off the road to force me into the bitter cold river of truth. I gripped the steering wheel harder and confessed. I'm sorry. I haven't been faithful to you, I screamed out. The car kept getting closer, slamming into me. I would face death if I didn't confront this. I didn't want you to leave me, but it was a mistake. A one-night stand that I regret forever, I shouted. I hear demonic laughter over the air as I'm about to crash. The tunnel is right in front of me. Please, please forgive me, I beg. There's a second of silence as I look into the mirror again, and I see myself at the wheel for just a moment, driving to the edge of sanity, ready to kill myself over my guilt. Driving into the tunnel would be so easy. End it all. Pay for my sins. My side mirror smashes the side of the tunnel. Sparks fly as metal grinds against the brick. Then my wife's voice cracks the air with a few words. I know. It's fine. Just come home and we can make it right. I slam on my brakes and my car slides across the dead highway, out the other side of the tunnel. Out of the corner of my eye, I can see the demonic headless creature fly by, and I see his lover, the waitress, trapped alongside his lie and doomed to drive this lonesome road forever. It wasn't anger or regret that drove them to be here, but guilt, always stuck looking in the mirror, trapped in the past. My eyes are now on the road ahead, and I can see an exit sign. I'm almost home. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. 
but those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed Objects in Mirror are Closer Than They Appear, as written by author Kyle Harrison and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented featured author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Harrison. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Harrison, spelled H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. That'll redirect you to Kyle's profile on our official horror fiction website, creepypastastories.com, where you'll find links to his social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit, as well as links to his fine collection of work on Amazon.com. If you decide to check out Kyle's books for sale and pick up a copy, please leave him a five-star review and a kind word, and let him know you heard him here on this show and that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Now, settle in. We've got another dose of darkness for you coming right up. You know, hoarding is one of those unfortunate situations where a house becomes a hovel. Sometimes the inhabitants can be a little worse for wear. In our second Kyle Harrison tale for the evening, one such fellow has gone missing, and a member of a cleanup crew is there to look for him. But the trash, well, that's the least of his worries. Without further ado, I present to you The Hoarder House on Sycamore Lane. I could smell the stench of death before I even stepped out of my truck. In its glory days, this place was the jewel of the neighborhood, the American dream personified. A sprawling, two-story, three-bedroom house, only a few miles from the beach. Looking at it now, you would hardly have guessed that anyone lived there at all. It was an eyesore even from the driveway. Clusters of discarded papers and trash of all variety, as far as the eye could see. None of the items seemed to have any rhyme or reason, but that was to be expected given who the owner was. Working for the city for the past ten years, the name Miguel Tindalos had come up at least a few times a year. He was a foreigner, had inherited a large sum of money from family, and bought out most of the property in the surrounding neighborhood. At first, most thought it was a sign of new blood in the area, but it quickly became apparent Miguel was going to be more of a problem than a solution. He was a hoarder, plain and simple. Everything he bought, he kept, and while he spent a lot of money, most of the items he owned were now sitting in his front yard collecting dust and I knew the inside was no better. Most of the surrounding community constantly complained about the animals, the smell, and the sheer amounts of trash. But Miguel had deep pockets and could pay any fine 
that was thrown his way. Some threatened to get the city to condemn his house, but that fell through too. As a result, the hoarder's house had become a fixture on the end of the lane for as long as I could remember. As I stepped out to approach the house, I tried to recall the last time I'd actually seen Mr. Tindalos in person. It had been a while. Everyone knew he was a hermit. The clutter kept him hidden from the world. I always wondered what it was he felt he was hiding from, and I guess now that I was here to assess the mess and find his body, it was time I found out. How long had he been dead in this filth before anyone thought to check on him? I knew he had no family, no friends save maybe a few debt collectors. His mailbox was stuffed full, possibly with months of suspension notices and other bills. He could have been rotting away for a year, and no one would be the wiser. It made me dread what was to come. As much as I wanted to delay the inevitable, I knew that getting this over with would be for the best, so I got my hazmat suit on and headed for the door. The air felt stiff despite the season. Not a soul was nearby. Most of the other people had moved away to get as far from Miguel as possible. He had driven down the property values, and if it hadn't been for the recent storm, I doubted anyone would have realized that the house was still here at all. The water had washed so much of his trash down the road, it was imperative that the city clean it, just for the safety and well-being of others in the area. But now, standing here, about to pry the door open to a living cesspool, I realized that I was likely going to walk into something far worse than I had imagined. As soon as the latch unlocked, more trash of every sort fell out. There were wrappers, bottles, discarded food, and all sorts of miscellaneous stuff. It was difficult to even be sure what was worth salvaging, if anything, and I had hardly even stepped inside. I had to crawl over the first layer of trash to get into the front room, where more garbage and clutter of every sort packed out the entire space. There were boxes, dated as though meant for a move, perhaps from when Miguel first moved in, that had never been opened, crammed into the corners. There were also bags of trash, tossed aside to any available space that wasn't already piled high. Besides the usual trash, I saw milk jugs that had either fermented or had been filled with urine, a clear indication that water hadn't been used in the house for some time, and that didn't even account for the rat feces and other droppings I could easily spot everywhere. It was horrifying to behold the sheer carnage and chaos of how this man had lived. I had to push aside cobwebs and trash to crawl toward the kitchen, the roof above me clearly sagging from the weight of more junk in the rooms above. Every crevice of this place was a pigsty, every alcove taken over by more items, some were antiques that clearly could have been sold, or canned food that could have gone to charity. But the sheer amount of droppings and mold made it obvious that there wouldn't be much here to save. 
I made it to the kitchen and inspected the food. Even in the suit, I could tell that the majority of it had gone bad. Rotting or molding fruit was stuffed into every part of the fridge, and dirty dishes piled high on the counters. Then I heard a rustling noise from somewhere above me and felt my heart skip a beat. Could it be that somehow Mr. Tindalos had managed to remain alive? It seemed like an impossibility, but I had to be sure. I closed the fridge back and made for the stairs. There was even more debris here, along with larger feces droppings that looked like they either came from a large animal or Miguel himself. It made me want to vomit as I slowly climbed the stairs and called out his name. I didn't want to hold out hope that he was still alive, but if so, I had to try, at least, to help him out of this nightmare. As I stood at the top of the stairs, my eyes drifted toward the bathroom. I wasn't sure I was ready to face how nasty that was, but I knew I needed to check it since it was the closest. Pushing the door open, I was fixated on the pile of human feces that was dredged on the toilet, along with the massive amounts of what looked like shredded skin on the floor. It was nauseating and disturbing to think that any human would subject themselves to this. At the back of the door on a hook, I saw what looked like some kind of costume, wrinkled and completely yellowed by mold and time itself. In a previous age, it might have even looked like a bodysuit of some kind, I thought as I pulled back the shower curtain to see more cake mold and feces covering every part of the tub. There was also blood and what looked like a woman's head fused to the shower where the water would pour out of her eye sockets. I quickly backed out and slammed the door, my own head dizzy as I tried to come to terms with what I had just seen. This was beyond revolting. I'd seen a lot of terrible things in my day, but nothing like this. I wanted to leave immediately, call the cops, maybe even throw up. Miguel Tindalos was some kind of serial killer. It all made sense to me as I stumbled down the hall, trying not to trip, over the other debris. All the reports of people going missing in the area. They'd become part of his horde. I was now looking at the shredded and flaky skin on the floor and wondering how many victims were actually buried under this filth. Somehow, instead of finding a way out, I was in a different room, and I was immediately confused. Had this room been here before? The hallways and clutter made the house feel confusing and a labyrinth. As the door pushed open, I saw to my utter bewilderment that inside it was pristine, as though a line had been drawn in the sand to distinguish that this area was different than the rest of the house. As my vision recovered, I realized there were candles neatly arranged around a draped piece of furniture at the end of the room. The setup reminded me of how an altar might appear at a shrine, unsettling me even more. I felt compelled to pull back the cloth and see what was underneath. It was a large vanity mirror, 
the kind of which might normally hang in a master bedroom. Yet, instead of being made of normal clear glass, the material of the mirror was the darkest shade I'd ever seen. I tried to think of the name for it, and I think the closest description is Vanta Black. It was uncanny to behold. As long as you might stare into it, nothing would ever reflect back. I reached out instinctively to touch the mirror, mesmerized by its presence. Then I felt a chill in the air. Had the candles been lit when I entered the room? The mirror seemed to move of its own accord, and then I realized it was the glass sliding out of the frame, the way that sludge might have from a broken pipe. It was a living slime that was moving toward me, and from that sludge I saw what looked like fingers protruding. I fell backward out of the room and toward the hallway, pushing clutter aside. I think I literally shouted out, Fuck this shit, as I began to run. But the horde was all around me. I knew that a creature with no bones would find it far easier to traverse the area than me. I could hardly catch my breath. And then in my shattered brain, I thought of the window in the bathroom. I could climb out. I pushed open the door, climbing atop the feces-covered toilet, as my heart pounded faster. The slime was right behind me. It swirled and moved toward the tub, as though attracted by the body parts. I couldn't help but be paralyzed in fear as I pushed the window latch to the roof open and watched the slime consume the costume on the wall. As it took the form of the bodysuit, I realized that the entire thing was, in fact, made of peeled and wrinkled human skin, worn out from age and extensive wear and tear. It was mortifying to watch, but I couldn't look away as it picked up the severed head, pulsing and oozing in and out of the empty sockets and holes as it seemed to take it as a mask on its misshapen body. Then I heard this ghastly scream. It sounded like it was trying to imitate the woman that it had taken as a body as I pushed onto the roof. I'm not quite sure. I couldn't stop from running as I fell out onto the hard tiling and looked toward the backyard. There looked to be literally hundreds of bags of trash filled with leftover food, discarded items, and possibly even more disgusting stuff. But I didn't care. My life depended on the fact that I needed to keep moving. I leapt into the trash below and swam through the putrid clutter, pushing my way to safety to avoid the ungodly creature that followed. I made it to my truck and drove away as fast as I could, not even bothering to stop and unzip my hazmat suit. I stopped and took a few breaths to clear my head. The house needed to be demolished immediately, destroyed before any other poor souls became part of that clusterfuck. I had a few spare packs of cigarettes in the truck and a gallon of gas. Turning around, I forced myself to return, hands gripping the wheel of my vehicle as I came up to the house. I got out and started to dose the trash with the gasoline, determined to end this nightmare before anyone else had to come across it. I could hear the creature scream as I lit a cigarette and tossed it into the pile, shielding my eyes as the inferno began to rise. I felt the heat swarm around my body as I stepped away, 
my feet feeling heavy as I felt the flames lick my skin. Something sparked from the trash heap, colliding with my eye, and I screamed. Desperate to see again, I ran from the house and called 911 as the fire kept consuming the horde. Later that day, I had to have emergency surgery. My eye removed due to retinal scarring. I returned to the hoarder house the day I was discharged to be sure the inferno had done its job. But it felt like the trash heap had doubled in size and spread even farther. As I looked at the desolate structure, I wondered to myself if part of me was now left behind in this place to become part of the horde. I've recommended to the city that we simply leave the property alone. I hope they listen. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I hope you enjoyed The Hoarder House on Sycamore Lane by author Kyle Harrison as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale, stick around. Up next, we've got a third selection, guaranteed to scare your socks off. When people want to speak with the dead, usually it's just a matter of going graveside for a one-sided chat, engaging in prayer and getting out a Parker Brothers product and asking questions. One man needs deeper answers than usual, though and has found a place in Texas that will give him what he wants if he does everything right. Without further ado, I present to you Instructions for Using the Harborville Motel Mirror. So, before we get started, let me get a few questions out of the way. It probably goes without saying, but... I won't be providing the actual address of where the Harborview Motel is located in Texas, so don't ask. Like most urban legends of this nature, it's impossible to say for certain where it started or how it grew to be popular, so your guess is as good as mine on this. Although I will be providing you some step-by-step instructions on this ritual, Please note that my experience is different than others, and therefore, if you do attempt this, there's no guarantee you'll fare the same. The Harborview is one of those mom-and-pop-owned motels that have survived the test of time thanks to its reputation for always having at least one room available. 
Some say this is because the owners do a terrible job cleaning up after their guests and can never have all rooms ready in case of a surge of bookings. Others claim it's because their budget is tight and the owners know that they don't get the usual clientele like other pit stops. That's likely due to the reputation of the mirror, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. The first thing you should know about the Harborview is that people don't come here for a good time or even a good night's rest. It's near to the highway and sits kitty-corner from a 24-hour truck stop. Most business is taken over by the name-brand hotels a few miles down the road. No, people come here for a purpose. What that is will vary from person to person, of course, but for me it related to my wife Virginia. Six years she's been gone due to an overdose from drugs. Six years I've had trouble closing my eyes to go to sleep without conjuring up that last vacant stare she gave me when I found her. I've tried to figure out why she took her life, why she left me and the kids. I've blamed her job, blamed myself, and even blamed God. But it doesn't provide any real comfort. Her departure left a hole in my heart, a void that needed to be filled. I'm telling you this because of the first rule regarding the Harborview Mirror. You need to have a reason for using it. Don't be some daft fool that comes here and wants to try something for shits and giggles. It won't end well for you, my friend. Of course, I can't say that with any degree of certainty either, because I don't really know if anyone's experience is better than mine was. I'm only giving you the same advice I was told to heed based on word of mouth spread across the Internet. That's where I heard, first, about the mirror. I made a menagerie of other articles about how to come to terms with grief by contacting the spirit of the one you lost. There's a multitude of them out there, but the mirror is the one that stuck out for me. Perhaps it was because it sounded so plausible, so tangible. The way people described it, and the way it affected them, Surely that couldn't all be for the sake of make-believe. Six months is how long it took me to get the courage to give it a try. I knew that if I was going to succeed, I would need to follow the instructions given to the best of my ability. And that's the tricky part, really. There are at least 18 separate steps connecting to the mirror from what I've gathered, but some people put in a 19th, or a different thirteenth step, just to throw everyone off. Then, another internet troll pops in and joins the bandwagon, distorting the original instructions more and more, to the point where it's somewhat difficult to say for certain which are correct and which were simply tacked on. I can only tell you what I did, so please, if your experience includes steps that are different than mine, Share that. First, you need to be from out of town. Easy for me, since I lived up in Amarillo, nowhere near to where the motel is located. Some say it has to be that you've never been there before or even anywhere near it. 
I can check that box easily, too, but I suspect many truckers and travelers cannot. Second, you should pack several things with you for the trip, the most important of which being a small pack of matches. This isn't for you, and you are not supposed to open them until prompted to do so. You can purchase them from anywhere, even from the truck stop across the road. The other items are a change of clothes, a door wedge, a black ballpoint pen, and a bottle of water. The next part isn't a step, really, but I think it holds some significance, so I'm putting it out there for good measure. It was around two in the morning when I arrived. This is important timing for later on in step five, so I would simply advise that you arrive an hour or so ahead of time, just to give yourself time to finish your business and maybe grab a quick smoke or something. I walked into the truck stop to grab some Marlboros and beef jerky since I'd been on the road for a few hours. Like I said, I don't live nearby. And I was trying to find a good soda pop when the bright orange neon sign from the Harborview came to life in the reflection of the Coke dispenser. As I noticed the sign come to life, a few of the other patrons in the store did too. So I figured I should chat up the locals and see what they had to say about the motel. I'm surprised they have money to keep that sign on. I remarked to the cashier as I passed her my cigarettes and snack. The young twenty-something didn't make a reply at first as she rang me up, but for the life of me, I swear there was something in her eyes that told me she had something to say. Isn't it run by just two people? Don't they ever sleep? I said hoping to goad her into a conversation. They come on when they're supposed to come on, she replied curtly. What does that mean? was my next inquiry. Owners know when they have someone coming by. Don't ask me how. They just do. Must be a traveler out tonight needing a place to rest their head. She said as she passed me the change and then asked me, What brings you here, stranger? Now, according to some blogs, this question is important to the ritual. Honestly, I don't see how. The cashier likely changes nightly, and there simply is no way they could always ask the same question. But it did unnerve me that she asked, and I felt compelled to reply truthfully. My wife, I'm hoping to see her tonight. I told the young girl as I stared at the lights at the Harborview Motel. It was like they were meant for me. Good luck, she told me. I went back to my car and checked the time, 2.24. Time to begin step three. You must leave your parked car at the truck stop and go on foot. Parking at the motel is bad luck, and getting a cab to take you there is worse, or so people say. There's an overhead walkway that links the truck stop to the motel, and the next step says you can use it to go to the harbor view or to return. But never both ways. It's up to you to decide. Even at this time of night, I didn't want to risk walking the six-lane traffic, so I made for the overhead. Once you're in front of the harbor view, it's time to wait. You should be there no later than 2.45, no earlier than 2.40. See, I told you timing was important. 
And since every version of the ritual mentions this, I'm doing it too. I arrived mere seconds before 2.45 hit, and I sat down on the second row of parking tape and looked toward the manager's office. The place seemed abandoned. No one ever comes here except people like me, searching for purpose in their life. This step is important, but then I guess all of them really are, and it's going to require you to remain undistracted by the noise. The sign will say closed when you arrive, and you're to keep your attention on the sign until an unseen hand turns it over to open. This isn't easy, mind you. There's a lot going on. There are cars zooming by. Some even get into wrecks while you wait. Police sirens going off, helicopters flying overhead, the occasional prostitute trying to get your attention. Oh yeah, about that. This is a step I thought was fake, but since it happened to me, I'm including it. Some of the versions of the ritual say there's a particular prostitute that can appear while you wait. And while descriptions vary from account to account, one thing that is consistent is that she is supposed to be asking for a smoke. It happened to me about 3.09 as the minutes crawled by. I didn't hear her approach, and when she stood beside me I didn't smell any perfume. I was focused on the door, but in my peripheral vision, I gathered she was wearing stiletto heels and fishnet stockings with a short turquoise skirt and a skimpy top to match. The rules say she will be insistent on getting a smoke, and you must refuse her. And you must also keep your eye on the manager's window. I did both, despite the fact she was right in my ear, whining to grab a hold of my cigarettes. After writing this, it's occurred to me that this is likely due to me buying them in the first place, and hence her presence. So, if you want to avoid this distraction, just stay clean. I felt her tugging at my arm. She was very stubborn and wouldn't take no or my ignoring her lightly. Finally, I came up with an alternate solution and offered her my food instead. Mighty nice of you, she said, snatching the jerky from my hand. At that exact moment, the sign in front of me moved and I felt my heart race. I wonder still if it was kindness that allowed me to move on to the next step. All I know for sure is that I left her there and moved with haste toward the door. The instructions say you can't take longer than a minute to get inside. If you do, you might wind up meeting someone besides the owner. I don't rightly know if I met that time, since I didn't look at my watch, but I can tell you the manager's office was not at all like what I expected. People say it appears to them in different ways. It's led me to think that maybe it's not simply the mirror that holds power, but the entire location. For me, it looked like a mashup between a Chinese restaurant and a video rental. Bland green and bright yellows mixed. Old wallpaper peeled from the ceiling. Jazzy, scratchy music played in the background. Incense filled the air. I couldn't really see the owner in the dim light behind the counter, as he was busy grabbing something from under the desk. But he appeared to be short and stocky and of Asian descent. He took out a guest book, slid it across to me, and said in broken English for me to sign in. 
room, he adds, pointing to the list. It's supposed to be a question, but for me it feels like a statement. These next few steps are supposed to be the easiest in the process, that I figured it's impossible to get them wrong. Use the pen you brought with you. You sign in under an assumed name. You choose room eight. I think, for most people, the ease of these is likely what throws them off. Everything up to this part feels like you could easily get it wrong and ruin the whole ritual. But how could you possibly fuck up these three? I didn't understand it until I was signing in, and you probably won't either. It was this overwhelming sense of disturbance in the air around me. A compulsion to write something, anything, anything besides what the rule told me to put down. I had to practically force myself to forge a signature. When I was done, the Asian man smiled in a queer sort of way and put the book away. For the life of me, I wish I had seen how many other people had come here before, but in the heat of the moment, I must have panicked. Had my name been the only one? The owner told me to wait while I got the room key. I couldn't help but notice the scratchy music had stopped. In fact, the office was dead quiet. He returned a minute later with a large gold key tied to an even larger rusty copper plate that had an eight scrawled on it with permanent marker. It actually looked a little like an infinity symbol, though I don't know why that correlation came into my mind. The next step is supposedly optional. Like I said, some instructions don't include it, but others say you can tip him. Now the rules do say you aren't supposed to bring any more than $44 to pay for the room and that you must insist on paying that amount, but the rest is up to you. I brought along about 100 bucks for gas, food, and possibly HBO if it turned out the whole ritual was a dud, and this was all a stunt to boost their business so I gave him a $10 tip. Per the script, the owner refused, and I insisted. Then I grabbed my key and made my way toward room 8. It should be after 3.30 by the time you get there. Some people call this the witching hour, and as I walked toward the room, it certainly felt like it. Where once there was noise and distraction from the highway, now everything seemed quiet. Now would have been as good a time as any to say fuck it and go home. My purpose for coming told me I couldn't, though. So I used the key on the door and heard the lock grind as it unlatched from the hinges. Room 8 looks like someone threw up in it everywhere. You don't come for the scenery. It has gray carpeting with dark stains on it that some people claim are blood. In two twin-sized beds both of which are made with peppermints on the pillow. The instructions say you're to choose the bed on the left, so that's what I did. I sat down and looked at the bed opposite me, my heart pounding as I realized I was actually going to go through with this. The door was still open. The rules don't specify whether you need to close it, just that you use the door wedge. But something about staring out into the world felt wrong. This place is separate from where I came, and I shouldn't let it interfere, I thought. So I closed it, 
placed the door wedge down and went over to the bed again, taking a few short breaths. I told myself I was ready. People always do. I don't think anyone ever really has, though. Then I went to the bathroom and turned on the light. The mirror was waiting. Now, from an outsider's perspective, the mirror inside room eight looks no different than any other grimy, dingy motel would have. It takes up the whole wall, and it's got a few fingerprints and dust on it. It's even got a crack along the top, like one sharp hit could shatter the whole thing. I wonder how many people might actually come here for just a normal visit, stare into this mirror and go about their business without a care. It seemed unlikely, because despite the fact that the mirror itself was ordinary, I felt uneasy about it. Something felt off. Don't ask me what. Maybe it was because I envisioned that the fingerprints were likely from the last person who came to perform the ritual. After all, the next step did say you were to sit in a chair in front of the glass and place your right palm against it. According to the instructions, you must do so within two minutes of the first time you're entering the bathroom. So don't go in to go potty or whatever. Go in to get this whole thing started. I sat and pressed my palm on the surface, feeling its cold resonate on my skin. You're told to hold your hand there for another minute, and while doing so, you should look toward the right-hand side of the reflection. Wait until you see the flicker of a candle. I must admit, I don't recall if there was a candle when I entered the bathroom. I was too focused on the mirror. I'm sure most people say the same. It's all-encompassing, unyielding, demanding of your attention. But after a few short, breathless minutes, I finally saw the candle ignited, and I abruptly seized my hand away from the mirror. The gentle flame from the wick lingered as I stared at it. My throat dry as I reached into my pocket and took out the matches. Getting this next part right was essential. You're to stand up, burn a match, and walk backward into the room. Keep your eyes on the flame and not on the mirror. My hands were sweaty when I struck the match against the box. It only took one try. I got up from the chair and immediately started walking backward. I didn't want to get anything wrong, so I was slow with my gait. I could see my reflection doing the same out of the corner of my eye, but again that dreadful, peculiar feeling lurched into my body. Why did it seem like the reflection was moving faster and I wasn't? I stopped right in front of the bed opposite mine. Then the match went out. At the same time, the candle did too. I stood there, looking toward the dark bathroom where my reflection had disappeared from sight, and tried my best not to shake. Everything had gone exactly according to plan so far. I knew I was to strip from my clothes and to change into the ones I brought with me. Some spectators say that this is so the spirit you meet is fooled and doesn't haunt you from beyond the room. Others claim it's because you're trying to appear differently than the way you came, so as to symbolize some sort of transformation you're trying to make. Personally, though, I wanted to get out of my regular clothes because I was soaked in sweat. Never had I been so nervous in all my life. 
It took me less than three minutes to get into the robe I'd brought. I figured something simple would be easier. But for some reason, putting it on felt like I was slowly drowning. All the while, I got the sense that the bathroom seemed darker than before. I was close to finishing all of the steps. Once dressed, I tossed my used clothes in haste over to my bed and reached for the matches. There wasn't a moment to waste. You're to start walking forward toward the darkness with a match ready, but you're not to light it until you're face to face with the mirror. I took a tentative step forward, then another, then another. Finally, I was there. The bathroom was colder than before, I was certain, and despite the fact that the mirror was only a few feet in front of me, I saw nothing. My hands trembled. I struck the match near my chest and closed my eyes, saying the phrase I was told would provide me closure. Show me why, I whispered. I held my breath for what seemed like an eternity, then opened my eyes and slowly brought the match up to my face. It was still me. My mind panicked, thinking I'd done one of the steps wrong. The ritual was meant to answer my fears, explain the loss I couldn't let go of. Was it all a hoax? Was this all a waste of my time? Then a smile creased across the features of my reflection's face. Silently, its free hand gestured toward the counter, where somehow there was a bottle of water on its side of the mirror. It was the one I'd brought with me, but I swear to you, the steps do not say to bring it into the bathroom. Somehow it was there anyway, across the void. Then it took the cap off the water and gently poured it over the match that was illuminating us both. Mine was the only flame that went out. In those few seconds of darkness, as I stared across my illuminated reflection, I can rightly say that I forgot what I looked like. It was like staring at a stranger. The reflection did not move or waver. It just stared back and held my gaze for another few seconds. It raised its mouth toward the glass and breathed gently, just enough to fog it up. Then it used its finger to write me a message. Slowly, I watched as the letters unfolded before me, my brain trying to comprehend what each of them was as though I'd never seen them before. It didn't seem to make sense until the word was spelled out in its entirety. Because was all it said. Then the darkness returned. I sat there, numb, for a few long, lingering minutes. I thought back to Virginia and all the times we'd argued. The last things I said to her were cutting and harsh. That was why I'd blamed myself. So what did this message mean? This simple puzzle kept me awake the rest of the night as I lay in the bed. The rules say you don't have to stay until morning, but I had no idea where else to go. I think I know what the mirror was telling me, and I think I understand now why the ritual is not recommended, why my answer may not be so unique after all. The morning light is creeping into my door, but it isn't welcoming. The roar of the traffic is all that buzzes into my mind. 
I can leave whenever I want to. The ritual is over. This here for anyone else who's listening to these stories and searching for answers of their own to whatever is keeping them up at night. I'm telling you, if you are searching, you should stop doing so. Because sometimes bad things happen, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Maybe even impossible if you realize the deeper implications. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe your experience will be different when you come to the Harborview Motel. All I know is that I have to cross the highway, and I can't go back the way I came. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you enjoyed Instructions for Using the Harborville Motel Mirror by author Kyle Harrison, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Harrison. Once more, that's simplyscarypodcast.com slash Harrison spelled H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. If you enjoyed Kyle's work featured here tonight, it's just a tiny taste of what you'll find in his catalog on Reddit or in the many books he's published and been featured in over at Amazon. And you'll find links to all that and more on his creepypastastories.com profile, which that link I mentioned will take you to. And as a reminder, if you decide to give any of this talented author's works a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word and be sure to let him know you heard about him in this program and that Otis sent you. It means a lot to both of us. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012. All of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases 
and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Story Time, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep. If you can. <laughs>Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. 
If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.